Are you in need of a passport in a hurry? Look no further. Global Passport Express is here to help. With our efficient and reliable services, we can process your passport in as quick as seven days. That's right, just seven days. And that's not all. We specialize in visas for many countries, including popular destinations like China, India, and so much more. Whether you're planning a family vacation, a business trip, or your next mission trip, Global Passport Express is your one-stop solution for all your passport and visa needs. So why wait? Reach out to us today at 210-375-7525 to speak with one of our friendly and knowledgeable representatives. They will guide you through the process and answer any questions you may have. You can also visit our website at www.globalpassportexpress.com for more information and to start your application online. It's quick, easy, and convenient. Mention this ad and receive 10% off any of our services. Don't let time constraints hold you back from your travel dreams. Trust Global Passport Express to deliver your passport fast, hassle-free, and with a smile. Global Passport Express, your passport and visa experts. Get ready to explore the world. Welcome to the Taking the Land podcast. This is your home for daily audio sermons from Christian Fellowship Ministries. God has gifted our fellowship with some of the finest preachers in the world, and we want to share. Well, hello, and welcome back to the Taking the Land podcast. This is Pastor Adam Dragoon from Virginia Beach, and I am extremely excited to present to you this amazing interview with none other, Pastor Joe Campbell all the way from Granny's house in Creel Springs, Illinois. This was a great opportunity that I was able to take last year in uh, the end of the month of November. I went for a couple of days. Pastor Campbell was there to celebrate Thanksgiving with his family, and I got to interrupt uh, his celebration to do this interview. This uh, interview was completely sponsored and supported by our premium members, And so you have them to thank for this amazing interview. What you're about to hear is about 47 minutes of a sit-down interview that I did with Pastor, just uh, explaining, uh, going into depth about his history, his early days, his salvation, and where God has brought him from. Um, There are a couple of things here that, uh, that I had never heard before, and hopefully that you had never heard before either. What you are missing out on, though, is that I also got to spend some amazing time with a pastor um, riding around in his truck. We got to go do some sightseeing, uh, see some historical places where uh, he had memories of his family, his upbringing. And uh, so we have reserved that uh, as part of our premium member-only content. So if you want to hear the rest of that, and it is not a small amount, um, it's about another hour and 30 minutes or so of incredible, amazing stuff from Pastor Campbell. So what you're getting here is about 47 minutes of our uh, sit-down interview, uh, but you are also able, if you would like to uh, become a premium subscriber, uh, you are able to immediately listen to the rest of that interview. You'll get uh, about two hours and 25 minutes of Pastor Campbell wisdom, history, uh, fellowship history, incredible testimony. And so uh, we hope that uh, that this is valuable to you. And if it is, we would appreciate 
uh, you sharing that with somebody. And for now, here is Pastor Campbell from Granny's House. Pastor, I wanted to say thank you again for this opportunity. It's uh, uh, for me to to be able to be here and experience, you know, your your home turf and uh, and your, your family here. It's it's a great privilege and a blessing for for me, especially and for everybody who's going to listen to this. So, thank you for letting me steal some of your time this week. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so, um, I guess we wanted to um, to hear a little bit more about. Uh, especially this this health crisis that you've been through the last few months after your heart attack there in Sydney. I, I wonder if you would just maybe share what you remember from that. Um, we, we we heard a lot of reports, but I don't think I've heard it from, from your perspective, how, how it went for you. Yeah, let me uh, give a little background. Uh, I've been uh, praying for years. I heard Pastor Mitchell praying this prayer. A God that I may serve you in longness of life and full of days. And this is a Bible prayer uh, of patriarchs prayed. It's not just time we're talking about, but fullness of days. In other words, not just added years, but added effective years for God. A life that's full of God and God's purpose. So I prayed that prayer. The other prayer I prayed that I heard Pastor Mitchell praying, uh, God give me a spirit of youth and a soundness of mind. So it's very interesting. I'm 81 years old. Uh, I'm supposed to go to Sydney, Australia. Uh, Rob Walsh there to do his Bible conference. And uh I'm in the bedroom, Connie's in the bedroom, and I call Rob, and I'm trying to kind of get out of it. And uh, Rob says, listen, Pastor, you've got to come. Uh, you weren't able to come during COVID. Listen, we've got, you, you really, we got the brochure printed there, and I can see Connie, because she can hear it. I got him on speaker. Uh, she's saying, you need to go. You need to go. She's mouthing to me. So I went, and... Uh, I'm exiting the plane in Sydney, been a 15 and a half hour flight, whatever. And I'm uh, waiting on my bag. I'm talking to Connie and I begin to feel a little dizzy. I said, I'm a little dizzy and, and I collapsed. And there was a guy there. He grabbed the phone, said, who is? He said, well, that's my husband. And he told Connie, he's not breathing. And so I had a cardiac arrest, which I didn't know this is different than a heart attack. Your heart can be under attack, but not stop. My heart stopped. But there was a doctor right there. He must have been on the plane with me. I, I, I wish I knew, but I don't know who he was. He immediately began to give me CPR. And uh, he stayed right with me until the EMTs got there, all the way through, he stayed with me. And this guy's talking to Connie, he stayed on the phone. See, yeah, he's breathing again, you know, and all of this. And then the hospital uh, that I went to, St. Thomas Hospital, was only 15 minutes away. And it's the best uh, cardiac stent hospital in all of Australia. And uh, so I, I got there, I don't remember much up until I got in the hospital and uh, they told me, you need four stents. Uh, they give me an MRI, various things, you need four stents. 
And um, so they did. They, they put in four stents. But what was interesting, I had no symptoms yeah. at all. I, I was going to ask, did you have any report? Of the only thing that I missed, uh, later I talked to my cardiologist in Chandler, and he said there's four symptoms that you look for. One, of course, is pain. Uh, the other one is uh, dizziness. And the other is loss of cognitive. In other words, yeah. your your mind begins to fail you. And the fourth one I had, but I thought it was just, I was getting older, was shortness of breath. Oh, wow. A couple of times uh, when I got off the airplane, and sometimes it's a long walk to get your bag. I remember telling Tori one time, I can't believe I, I had to stop. I was, my breath was short. That was a sign. Mm. But anyway, um, the doctor told me, and then Ben, who's uh, a cardiac nurse uh, specialist, told me the same thing. Uh, but Dr. Labradini told me, he said, Mr. Campbell, do you realize what a miracle you are? And I said, not really. Uh, but he said, listen, listen to me. 60-year-old men and women who have what you have, only 5% live. Oh, my goodness. And he said out of that 5%, only 2 or 3% uh, don't end up in a nursing home. Seriously. Because when your, your heart stops beating, uh, blood stops flowing, oxygen can't get to your brain, and you have uh, begin to have cognitive issues, and so they end up in a nursing home. Wow. So only 2 or 3% of 60-year-olds uh, survive this and are able to function. And you're 80. And I'm 80. <laughs> and, uh, but he said that to me more than once. And then I was re recently preaching in San Jose, California. And the lady who played the keyboard on, on the platform, uh, were shaking hands there, uh, during, when they have everybody shake hands. She said, uh, Pastor, she said, I have nursing experience. Do you realize what a miracle you are? And so uh, uh, the hand of God. I mean, if I'd have been home yeah. with Connie and her condition, uh, or if I'd have been in some of the places I go, right. they have no facilities, I wouldn't have lived. Or if, you would have, if it would have happened five hours before during the flight. In the flight. Yeah. Or if the, the guy who revived you hadn't been standing there. Yes. Unbelievable. Yeah, all of the pieces. And so I prayed in the hospital, and I've prayed since. And if you're watching or listening to this, I ask you to pray with me. Uh, I prayed in the hospital pretty and often. God, if you spared me for something, don't let me miss it. God, if you spared me, you have a cause or a purpose in this time frame. Don't let me miss it. Yeah. Uh, are, are, has God uh, started to answer that prayer for you? Or what, it, what are you thinking? The, uh, what I prayed, God, that when I speak, people may know you. I've, I've prayed, God, when I speak, when I minister, May your presence be overwhelming. 
And the reason I pray that is uh, people cannot deny the presence of God. When God's presence is there with weight, uh, people repent, people get delivered, people get healed, people change, uh, people uh, submit and surrender to calling and destiny. Marriages are healed, list goes on and on. And so I have prayed, God, may they feel your glory, the weight of your presence, that they'll know without a shadow of doubt, God, you're real. So I ask people to pray with me as well uh, that that might be possible. Well, we're sure, we're sure grateful that uh, God gave you more time on the calendar. Yeah, and I've... Uh, uh, I've recovered quite well. I mean, it's just been a little over two months, and uh, I did a men's deed Monday, Grants, New Mexico, flew to Chicago, preached Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, and uh, I feel very good. Um, the doctor did advise me uh, not to fly international for a year. Oh, really? And I asked him, so why? I flew home from Australia, after 10 days, uh, he said a couple of reasons. One, you had no symptoms. Okay. So you probably won't, if something was wrong, you possibly wouldn't have another warning. Number two, if it happens on an airplane, there's not a lot they can do. Right. And number three, he said the places you go, uh, they don't have the facilities to care for you. So he asked me, he said, if anything, there's going to be any setbacks with these stents or anything clogged. Or, and normally the first year is the critical time. So I'm trying uh, to listen. Uh, my nature is to, uh, Pedal to the metal. yeah, to go. And, uh, but I'm trying to uh, take heed to their wisdom. And I want to thank everyone that's prayed. Uh, again, uh, I know across the fellowship and people have, I got all kinds of texts and emails and word that people were praying everywhere. And uh, prayer is probably the reason I'm alive and the grace of God. Can you, uh, can you take a minute to talk about the, um, the response like in the Chandler Church? Um, because there was a, an extended time that you were not there. And so the leadership there and basically taking care of the congregation and stepping up, even through the conference. You, thank God you were there, but you know not as involved as, as you have been in the past. Yeah, it, I have a great staff. Uh, of course, Tori and Stacia are there. Uh, Mark and Carol have been there for years. We just recently made a transition. Uh, Thane and Nancy, Jr. and Chautauqua. Uh, Pete and Ashley. Um, but one of the things I've noticed uh, and observed is in crisis, people do step up. They respond. Uh, and not only that, uh, is that's where disciples are made. You can't micromanage. So this is a great test. Uh, I... I wasn't there. I tried to be there in the mornings, had to make some decisions, church planning, et cetera. Uh, I was there to take the offering on Thursday night, 
and Friday night and stuff. I think I missed Tuesday night or something. But um, the test of Christianity and character is in crisis. And life is filled with crisis. Uh, you crisis in your marriage, a crisis in employment, spiritual crisis, betrayals, disappointments, some people uh, an unexpected sickness or death. Uh, trials uh, often, if not always, have a flavor of crisis to them and testing. And that's where character is made, and that's the test of your spirituality. But I thank God the Chandler Church, such a fantastic church, been through many, many things. I've been pastoring there around 40 years, minus a few years in Malaysia. But so many wonderful people, uh, and a lot of people concerned, no doubt. But they've been through a lot. And uh, and again, Tori and Stacia stepped. Both of them stepped up and responded very, very well. Well, um, yeah. And the the reason that that I, I wanted to do this interview here uh, versus online or or even somewhere else was because of uh, how important this place here at Granny's house is is so important to your upbringing. You you were literally raised in this house, correct? Yes. Yeah. And so you were telling me last night a little bit, but maybe just to reiterate the, you know, we're, the room that we're sitting in is an add-on, but the original house is just next door here. And can you share with, with everybody, you know, a little bit about your upbringing and why this place is, is special to you? Well, it's uh, generational. Now, my great-grandfather, uh, like 1886, built the house, him and his brother. It's a 900 square foot house. And uh, my mother's mother died of TB when it swept the world. So her grandmother raised my mother with her brother and sister in that house, plus four of the Clark kids, plus my Aunt Hetty and Ann. So here she was, a grandmother raised nine kids in a 900 square foot house, yeah. uh, three bedrooms. Uh, we had an outdoor toilet when I was growing up. We had a well for water. We had a coal and a wood stove. And so uh, uh, we were very poor. Uh, there was no TV or anything. Uh, as far as electricity, my mother had no, uh, there were no outlets because you had no appliances. Might have been one or two outlets in the house. Otherwise, there was a light that hung down in the middle of the room, no lamps, with a switch on it. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't know we were poor because there was no comparison. Right. Not like we had TV or I had wealthy friends right. uh, that I could see the difference. Uh, so we were raised poor, but uh, my mother and dad were together. I had an older brother and sister. My brother was eight years older, my sister 10 years older. Uh, my father was in World War II. So I've- I In the Army? Pardon? Was he Army? Yes. Okay. Uh, I had uh, pictures of me, my dad holding me as a baby, and then he was gone like four years. Uh, so uh, 
he came home from the war and my grandmother told me he's never the same. Uh, he was a periodic alcoholic. He'd go on these binges. And of course, we all paid a price for that. But uh, so when I, you came back, you would he you would have been about four or five years old. Mm -hmm. OK, uh, but uh, I was around my dad. Uh, he basically farmed and my uh, grandfather uh, had uh, moved houses and did construction work. And he worked for him on my uh, Campbell side. Uh, and so he taught me to work. Uh, he spoke to me. Uh, I was by him. I watched him. I wanted to be a man. I wanted to be accepted by adults. Uh, I loved basketball. I mentioned earlier about the old walnut tree. Uh, we had the basketball gold on me and my dad played. But uh, I can remember uh, at one Christmas, I got a Boy Scout knife. Normally, I got a pair of socks. I was so excited about this knife. Had a screwdriver, you know, all the little gadgets. My brother, as I said, was eight. I went and woke him up early in the morning just to show him this knife. Wow. Uh, we would cut a Christmas tree. We'd go out here in the woods and cut a cedar tree, put it in a bucket with uh, dirt and mud. And then I remember helping decorate it. Uh, we had popcorn strung together with uh, thread. They'd take a needle and that was uh, decoration. We had some old bulbs, but it was a different world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my bedroom, the old house, uh, I remember having a, a we didn't have no heat to speak of. We had a fireplace and a pot belly stove. But I remember waking up in the morning, I had a glass of water, be a film of ice on the glass. And I would run for the fireplace and my mother would have my jeans hanging there warming. I slept in a feather bed. I remember going to bed at night and my mother would take a blanket and heat it. Yeah. Uh, and I would jump in bed and she'd put that over me, then cover it with the covers. Uh, but it was normal. Right. It, uh, we ate healthy. We grew most of our food, uh, and I cut kindling, fed the animals, uh, carried in water from the well, carried in coal. Uh, I had different chores, uh, and we worked puzzles in the winter. I remember we had a the power would go out, so we had a coal oil a, a lantern like a lamp. And we would work puzzles and eat popcorn. My dad grew popcorn, so we'd pop it in the winter and work puzzles. Uh, it was just a different world. Yeah. So when, when you said your, your brother was eight years older than you? Yes. So, uh, so he, he probably would have gone off and started his own life yes. fairly early when you were yeah, still he, young? Yeah, he joined the military. Okay. Okay. He so joined you, the Navy. You would have been about 10 years old? Yes. And then you're the only like kid that. in the house at that time? Yeah. And uh, then my dad went broke. Uh, and we moved to East Chicago, Indiana when I graduated out of the eighth grade. Okay. Uh, I went to high school in East Chicago, Washington. Uh, I had very little uh, religious influence at that point. Uh, I went to uh, 
uh, my grandmother went to a Baptist church some, and I had these friends of mine who were boys. Uh, there's four or five of them in the family. Their dad would take all of us to this Baptist church, same one, uh, from time to time. Yes, the Free Will Baptist Church. But I didn't really have any religion. My mom and dad weren't religious. Uh, I don't remember them cursing. My dad wouldn't speak bad about people. If he didn't like somebody, he just wouldn't speak at all or have nothing to do with them. Uh, but we went to Chicago uh, and my whole life. I was a pretty good kid up to that point. Uh, but and and you've heard the stories. I preach sermons about it. How old were you? Uh, I would have been a freshman. Okay. And so uh, uh, I I spoke different. I dressed different. My accent, my mannerism. So I was like a target, uh, which probably one of the things that caused me to excel in basketball was I wanted acceptance. Mm-hmm. But I began to get in trouble. Uh, and some friends of mine uh, began to steal things, and the police caught us, and they gave me a choice, uh, leave the state, uh, go to Crown Point, Indiana, which is like a juvenile place, or join the military. I was just starting senior year, so I moved back to Illinois to live with my uncle and aunt. That's when I played basketball at Marion, and uh, then I joined the military, and everything was pretty much downhill except I met Connie in San Diego. We got married, uh, which was the grace of God, uh, because she got saved before I did, about six months prior, and began to go to church at midnight to pray for me with some of the women. And I got worse. Uh, By this time, I'm almost 29 years old, I'm a horrible father. Uh, I'm a terrible husband. Uh, life is spinning out of control. Well, there's there's a the that ten year gap. Where, so from eighteen when you joined the military to twenty nine, and um, what what do you remember most from those years? Well, it uh, when I got out of the military, Connie and I came back to Southern Illinois and started to party. This was the sixties. I went to Kankakee, got a job, uh, Roper. Uh, we made Sears stoves, uh, made good money. But again, we're partying every minute. Uh, and it was just kind of like a blur of uh, Brad and Gail were born during that time. Uh, but it was like, uh, it was like uh, especially the last four or five years, our marriage was horrible. We would split up, back together, split up, back together. And uh, a lot of alcohol uh, and sin. She, she, she told me that she was really good at running away. Yeah, she was. She would take off. Uh, she would run uh, to her mom. She would run back to Oregon. A miracle. Uh, she, out of 1963, a red Chevrolet Impala. It's like two years old. This has probably been in 65. And I came home from work and uh, she'd picked up my paycheck from work and she was gone. I don't know if she told you. She went ran away to Oregon. 
And I, uh, no communication those days, no cell phones or anything. Uh, I had a 56 Oldsmobile that we had driven from California here that I had parked. I started it up after about a month. I waited about a month. I'm going to go find her. And um, she didn't tell you where she was going. No, no. I knew she's in uh, Portland, but I didn't know where. Okay. Her mother didn't like me, didn't really want her to marry me. And so uh, I started cross country. The alternator went out. I had very little money, but I, I found one in a junkyard, put it on. I pull into Portland. Here's, here's the hand of God. I pull up to a restaurant. She's working there. Wow. The first place you stopped. Yeah. How crazy is that? Has to be. God, even then, I wonder, didn't have his eye upon us, if not his hand. Yeah. yeah. And so we got back together and came back here. Well, you, you wouldn't be who you are without her. Uh, absolutely. Like I say, uh, she's been an incredible pastor's wife. Uh, anytime I wanted to go, uh, I mean, we, I quit a great job, telephone industry, went full time on $25 a week, and we had free rent living in church attic with two kids. She didn't even blink. We went to Mounds, Illinois, $75 a week, moved into the Sunday school rooms. Lived in Sunday school rooms for a year and a half. Was there about three and a half years. And so uh, uh, God has been wonderful. Probably the uh, no one has more influence on you other than God than your spouse your spouse over the long term and your children as they get older uh, have massive influence. This can be for good or this can be for not so good. And I thank God that uh, uh, Connie was always very, loved the ministry. We both love the ministry. Of course, we're getting older and she's had these issues since COVID which has kind of taken her out of the picture a lot. Uh, but sometimes we just sit around and, and laugh with praise uh, what we've been able to see, uh, places we've been able to go, the people we've been able to have relationships with, the Chandler Church, uh, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. Uh, we probably wouldn't have made it another year in marriage yeah, yeah. it was it was over pretty much yeah. we we're just trying to make it work but it was it was bad but god restored all of that and gave us a life i mean gave us an incredible life well so you you brought her back here and uh and so she she gave us the story about how she was invited to church and how she went and God touched her. And there was a, there was a, a period of, of time where she was saved and she was praying for you and you were not. Right. And I was interested in that because I've seen people go through that kind of a transition. And instead of bringing people closer together, it actually drives a wedge. 
in between, especially, you know, she's having these amazing experiences with God and she's trying to communicate that to you, but you're not saved. And so I'm just curious, do you, did, do you remember there being tension during that time? Well, it was, uh, I remember one time I heard her speaking in tongues. I don't know if she told you this, but, uh, and I'd never heard that in my life. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm speaking in tongues. It's in the Bible. Well, I didn't know. And I said, well, don't be doing it in front of the kids. <laughs> I mean, you know, where did that come from? How stupid is that? You know, uh, but I remember her telling me later, she'd be praying all day long in the old house here. All day long, she'd be speaking in tongues. Oh, so and you're out working. I'm working. Yep. And all day long, she'd just be speaking in tongues and praying. Uh, I went to church with her a couple of times before I got saved. Uh, and I can remember uh, I looked at those people and I remember thinking I could never do this. No way could I do this. I'm looking at the way they lived, the way they looked. I mean, I'm partying every day, right. practically. And I'm thinking, I can never do this. But what I didn't understand, God will give me a new heart. And that new heart would be after God. So one thing I've observed, Pastor, is, is that people who uh, get saved a little bit later in life, m most people who are saved get saved you know, be before they're 20 years old, like in their teenage years. We tend to be more um, more flexible in those years. And so it's important for us to have teen ministries and minister to young people because that's when people are open. But uh, because you did not get saved in that time, you're a little bit older, you're 29 years old. You already have a lot of uh, habits and, you know, you're down the road a little bit in your life and you have a way of life. So what I've observed is that people who do get saved a little bit later on, you know, 25 plus, 30 plus, is that they tend to be far more radical decisions for Christ. And I think it's because, and you tell me if this was true for you, I think it's because people realize what they're getting into and they, they have lived enough of the world to know that it's empty. And so I'm going to go in with everything I have. Is that, does that describe it? That's, that's true. I, I agree with that. I, uh, I got saved in Sandusky, uh, one night revival. I was there with Ron and Marie Jones. Connie and I went with them. Uh, and, uh, I didn't feel anything. I'm, I can remember them asking me, do you feel anything? I didn't feel anything. Yeah. But I came home and I had never heard a sermon. I immediately poured out Jack Daniels, Black Label. Uh, I broke albums. I began to get rid of drug paraphernalia and any magazines that I thought were inappropriate. And nobody told you. To nobody. And then the next day, two biker friends of mine, uh, Paul Dale Simpson, his brother Larry, they just live right over here. They came over and word had spread. Small town. They said, we heard you got religion last night. And I said, well, I don't know, but I do believe Jesus saved me. The moment I spoke that, 
I just have this incredible presence of God come down on me. So I fired my bike up and we, I went with them because I knew where everybody lived and everybody was partying and there. And all day long, I told people about Jesus. Wow. And I looked up and it was dark. This is the next day after you prayed. Yes. I, and I looked up and it was dark and I couldn't imagine where the day had gone. You remember what time of year it was? Uh, this would have been like uh, early, like January, February. Oh, that was winter time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was, uh, and from that moment, uh, Connie and I made some excellent decisions and we didn't understand the reality of it. Number one, uh, we're never going to miss church. I partied when I was sick. I'm not going to miss church for anything. So we'd have fights. We'd go to church. The, but the other thing that I wanted all of my friends to be saved. So I'm downtown in the restaurant testifying. I went to the VFW. And I'm in there preaching and testifying uh, in the bar side. Uh, I just wanted, and we begin to have friends to our house. So a lot of people begin to get saved. But one of the things that I think really uh, fired us in answer to your question to be radical, we believe the rapture was going to happen at any moment. Uh, Thief in the Night, Distant Thunder, those movies, Image of the Beast. We did a play uh, called uh, The Thief in the Night. We did our own play. Uh, but uh, what that did, if I'm going to do something for God, I need to do it now because Jesus is coming. The second thing, I don't want to be immoral. It really put a curb on lust and sexual sin I mean, I didn't want to be around anything that might keep me from being raptured. So those two things were powerful. One, what I'm going to do for God, I need to do now. Number two, I need to stay as far away from anything that even smell like sin. Uh, well, that's, that's a tremendous help in, in living for God. Yeah. That was gasoline for radical life for Jesus. Yes. So, um, can you talk about kind of the broader context of the culture and what was happening? Because it sounds like there was a sense of revival that you kind of stepped in at exactly the right. Well, moment. the Jesus people movement, of course, as it was sweeping the country. I mean, even before I was saved, there was a few times we're stoned and talking about God. I mean, stoned out of our mind talking about God. I mean, how who does that? But it was like there was, a, and, and of course, they, they've, they've done the movies, and our whole fellowship, Christian Fellowship Ministries, were born out of that. Pastor Mitchell harnessed that, that move of God among hippies and young people. Uh, it was electrifying. Uh, and so, and then the, the whole hippie thing was uh, anything material was uh, to be avoided. So I talk about going full-time, but in the hippie thing, that was normal. Yeah, You, you, had, a, you, had, <laughs> you had a t-shirt, a pair of jeans, 
and uh, you just ate w with wherever you could find somebody who would feed you. So that, that's interesting because it's so opposite of what we're living in today. Right. Where you don't have any value if you, unless you have things. Yeah. Right. Your, your, your value is attached to what you own. So that was really helpful at the time to, to fuel the, the Jesus people movement. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we didn't have the whole, uh, I mean, there was already, uh, you know, the whole dropout, um, and then there was the radical side of the anti-government, anti-Vietnam War, which I wasn't opposed. I had friends and died in Vietnam, but uh, I wasn't opposed. But that was kind of in the mindset. The whole hippie dress uh, was the, the whole drug culture, uh, Woodstock, all of that uh, was a mindset that we're not going down the normal uh, capitalism, you know, make money, be secure, all that. We, we kind of stepped away from that, right. which harness for God was good. Right. Uh, the other side of that, those are the people that became professors and have destroyed our country to yeah. some degree today. Correct. Yeah. And I thought that the, the movie um, about Greg Laurie, um, yeah. the G, I'm forgetting the name at the moment. Yeah. Anyways, I thought it depicted it well how how you had churches that had to go through this time of are, are we are we going to cater to the people who have been here and conservative and kind of stuffy and and are are we going to allow what God is doing bringing all these hippies in you know and many churches had to deal with something like that so uh, what I what I saw interesting parallels is I believe that. God is going to try to do that again in our time, I think. And I think uh, there's there's another group of people that is getting to the point where the, the, the hippie people were at that time. And I think that the church is going to have to also be flexible like they were back then. Right. Like Chuck Smith had to be. So uh, you have thoughts about that? Yeah, and, and we have been. I mean, uh, our churches are filled with people a lot of times. Uh, I've had over the years... People come to the church in Chandler and other churches said, uh, this is where you need to go. They could probably help you. Mm -hmm. And it's people who uh, are addicted or their lifestyle uh, or emotionally um, are, are really uh, on the edge. Yeah. Who knows what God will do? I mean, who knows? We know it's coming. Yeah. Uh, the last day saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy, old men dream dream, young men have vision. We know it's going to happen. Exactly what it'll look like, we need to have an element of flexibility. Yeah, that's that's uh, fascinating to think about. And uh, it's it's good to to learn those those lessons of the past so that we can anticipate what God wants to do in coming years. So, Pastor, um, when you uh, first got saved, you, you came into an Assemblies of God church. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And so the Assemblies of God, uh, those churches have their own culture, their own traditions, and many of them are good, right? And you came in and you got saved in that. Uh, but you didn't stay there forever. And I was just curious what that journey looked like for you. I got saved, uh, like I say, and then uh, Ron Jones was pastoring the assembly here in Creole. 
This was the early days of our fellowship. Pastor Mitchell didn't have the direction. He was uh, gaining the revelation step by step. Uh, and so um, Ram was here for a few months and I got saved. It was a, it was a, a fire. I mean, the church packed out, people got saved, all kinds of stuff. But then he went back to Prescott. What was the connection between him and Pastor Mitchell? Pastor Mitchell knew him. He was, Ron was from Prescott. Ron uh, was a barber. So he knew Pastor Mitchell and he knew what was happening there. So he goes back and connects with Pastor Mitchell. Uh, I got saved. Uh, I began to come up kind of through the ranks. I was saved like two years and became a youth pastor in Marion. And uh, I was there uh, less than a year, started a coffee house uh, in hindsight, because a lot of people got saved again. When I'm living in the attic of the church, I mean, people are praying all night long. I think the pastor uh, might have been a bit intimidated by the whole thing. Okay. And so uh, he asked me and my family to leave. Really? Yeah. So we uh, that's when we took the church in Mounds. 1,800 people, maybe 2,000. Uh, they hadn't had a pastor in seven months. The former pastor was a woman. Poorest county in the state of Illinois, Pulaski County. And uh, we went there. I tried out, so to speak. They offered me $100 a week, and we could move into the Sunday school rooms. And uh, so we did, and then they said, all we can do is 75 a week. <laughs> But we would have went for nothing, probably. Right, right. Well, how, how, how did you uh, stumble upon that opportunity? It's hard to remember all the details. I can't remember if it came through uh, Mr. Knight, Brother Knight, who was like the uh, section overseer. Okay, okay. I can't remember uh, how they offered it to me, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I was curious about... Um, <sighs> It sounds like you you entered into preaching ministry very very soon after you yeah. were saved. So you, you, did you know that you were called to preach? Yeah, early the way on? I'd been saved about two months or so. Um, I'm standing on a street corner, and, and some biker friends of mine came up, and they're pulling on me to go with them. It's it's warm now. It's springtime, and I said I'm not going. Uh, I, and I've been witness to them. They knew I wasn't drinking. And they said, you don't have to drink, just ride with me. I said, I'm not going, I'm going to sell my bike. And something in the spirit realm shifted. They rode off, uh, and I turned and walked down the street. A gambler friend of mine, Franklin D. Webb, had gotten saved. He was with me. Tears began to run down my face. I had never shed a tear when I got saved. And God spoke to me, son, if you'll be faithful, I'll cause you to preach in the nations. And I believe from that moment I was called. And so, uh, yeah, I was preaching. Then I went to Mounds to pastor and uh, just began to witness immediately to everybody. And uh, there was about 25 people there, maybe 35 and people begin to get saved, uh, just begin to get saved. And um, 
it was a good chapter. Uh, some precious people there. I had some powerful conversions. Uh, and uh, one conversion was so powerful. This man drank a pint of whiskey every day. Uh, he had had a farm. He had sold his farm. One of his sons had committed suicide, actually two of them. His wife was saved and come to church, but he was very cold. But I go by sometimes and, and uh, he'd invite me in to eat breakfast with him. His wife had cooked breakfast. Brother Osmond was his name. And, uh, but he was such a powerful conversion. The Baptist church asked him to come down and give his testimony one Sunday night. Uh, everybody in town knew him. He mowed yards and he was a hard worker. Uh, he just drank all the time. And uh, so he went down to give his testimony. We all went with him. Yeah. Our church went that night. And uh, it was such a credible change. I was a lot younger then. I was in my 30s. He was probably in his 60s. And uh, he testified and he said, not only that, I got filled with the Holy Ghost when the pastor prayed for me. Uh, you want to hear me? <laughs> he began to speak in tongues. The whole place went wild. Uh but it was a small community. You can you can imagine the stories just. Uh, and I was radical. Uh, I preached a sermon. If God would bless ten percent, what would happen if we gave ninety? I challenged the church to give ninety and keep ten, and let's see if God will take care of us. Mm -hmm. And people believed it. <laughs> Largest offering the church had ever taken. But several things happened. A family moved from Minnesota to Cairo, which is close by. And he's opening a huge plant there on the river, on the uh, Ohio, uh, Ohio River. He came to church, hired every man that wanted a job, double the normal salary. Uh, we bought a bus. Uh, we got a, uh, a building, uh, a home next door. They'd set it on fire. Somebody couldn't pay the payment. And uh, we bought it, uh, turned it into a parsonage. The same man, Brother Osmond, uh, Brother Odd, uh, and then Kenneth Stewart remodeled it. Uh, and the church packed. We enlarged the church. And so it was, I took two van loads of people from that church and Olive Branch to Prescott because I'd kept contact with Ron Jones. Okay, okay. And I'd talked to Pastor Mitchell on the phone a few times. He had sent me some CDs, or not CDs, cassette tapes. Right, right. Uh, and we, I took two van loads to Prescott. Saw a move of God. It was in the old church building there by the high school, the conference was. Right. And they launched me out of that into phoenix so we didn't even know what launching was really. yeah I, i'm curious because like up until that moment you you didn't have a whole lot of contact with our fellowship not a lot i i i had been to sarah vista i kept touch with ron jones okay yep he uh pastored in flagstaff and service so had he he had transitioned out of the assemblies by that time yeah okay yeah okay Wow. So he, he found some uh, structure that, that and what Pastor Mitchell was doing yeah. that he wanted to be involved in. And yeah. so you kind of followed that yes. example, I see. 
And, uh, and so then we pioneered in Phoenix and uh, been in the fellowship ever since. We hope that you have enjoyed this incredible interview with Pastor Campbell. Again, if you want to hear the full version of this, you want to hear uh, he and I riding around in his <laughs> Nissan truck that has lasted forever, uh, the visit to the barn where he explained how the blessing of God has just overtaken his life, uh, some fa family dynamics, driving through town. Uh, there's some incredible stuff that you don't want to miss. It's a full tour of uh, his hometown and where he came from. So uh, if you want to take a listen to that, feel free to use the free trial if you want um, of our Taking the Land podcast. You can get seven days for no cost. Uh, if it's valuable to you, then we would ask you to consider becoming a premium member. Uh, what do you get for being a premium member? Well, uh, you get full versions of Testimony Tuesday. You get our Thursday episodes, our Saturday episodes. You also get early releases. We let those out of the bag at 6 a.m. Eastern Time every day. And uh, that way you have a whole day to listen to those messages that we release. You also would get access to our premium WhatsApp group. And as always, all of the proceeds are going to World Evangelism. Uh, we want to encourage you. Uh, we don't we don't take any proceeds. We don't take any profits from this podcast. Everything is going straight to world evangelism. So you can feel good about a premium subscription. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you again next time. Hi, I'm Mike Ashcraft, pastor currently in Van Nuys, California. Pastor, man of God, your wife left everything to follow you in your dream. Are you going to leave her with nothing? The Bible says he who doesn't provide for his own is worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith. As men of God, we're ready to stand before God due to tragedy at any moment's notice. But what about our families? What happens to them if we were to die? There's an easy financial solution so that they don't have to go through poverty or destitution. Call me today, 310-403-6471. That's 310-403-6471.